Welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news and views relevant to the construction industry. My name is Scott Barry, your host for this episode. Uh, today we'll be talking with Jimmy Christensen, AGC's new regulatory counsel. Uh, Jimmy, you're not new to AGC though, are you? I'm not. I've been here for about five years now. Great. And when, what were you doing uh, before moving up to this position? Uh, prior to uh, being regulatory counsel, I was our director of federal and heavy construction, uh, the division of uh, contractors that work directly for the federal government. So no stranger to regulations there either, huh? Sort of the front line. Exactly. Just part of the regulatory onslaught we see every day. Great. Welcome. Uh, Today we'll be getting into a new OSHA rule on injury and illness record keeping, but that's not really what the issue is here, is it? No. uh, Unfortunately, it's it's not limited to just record keeping. It goes beyond to something that folks probably didn't necessarily think it would. So what kinds of things does this rule cover that you may not expect it to just from hearing injury and illness record keeping? Um, It also touches upon a uh, construction contractor's drug Uh, and alcohol testing programs as well as their incentive programs but you know the real issue here is the impact it could have on the drug programs. Wow so drug testing and uh, incentive programs doesn't seem like uh, the kind of thing that would be relevant in record keeping. How did we get to there from record keeping? Yeah you know you get to a point where you say we're we're looking to to actually track uh, the records of injuries and illnesses on our construction sites and then you say well how does how does all of a sudden this impact drug testing for example well uh, basically what the new regulation from OSHA says is and I'll quote it is you must establish a reasonable procedure for employees to report work related injuries and illnesses promptly and accurately simple enough right A procedure is not reasonable if it would deter or discourage a reasonable employee from accurately reporting a workplace injury. That's 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 a a key sentence there. Uh, Deter or discourage a reasonable employee. Um, So that's where we get drug testing because OSHA and incentive and safety incentive programs because they're saying, hey, these drug testing programs um, and these safety incentive programs could act as deterrence or discourage reasonable employees from reporting their injuries and illnesses. So that's where you get the record keeping. Another portion of the rule actually says, employers are prohibited from discharging or in any manner discriminating against their employees for reporting work-related injuries or or illnesses. So I guess uh, the idea is testing an employee for the presence of drugs and alcohol after an incident has taken place discourages them from reporting in the first place because they don't want to be drug tested. Is that the logic here? Right, because they're probably using drugs or alcohol. Okay. That, that can deter them. They may have an injury, but if they're also using drugs and alcohol, in, in OSHA's opinion, they're going to be less likely to report their injury if drug testings are, are involved because they don't want to be drug tested. Um, but again, I go to their own, their own rule is uh, discourage a reasonable employee from accurately reporting. So reasonable employee. Um, in the construction industry, we would probably say that a reasonable employee on a construction site is not using drugs or alcohol. I, th- I think that makes sense. But I can understand from OSHA's perspective, is there like a privacy concern there? Or is this more uh, the, the dis- act of discouragement is the central thesis? That's what they're, they're claiming their central thesis is. There is a privacy concern that 
it underlies this entire argument. Um, but the reality in today's environment is that we don't really have a whole heck of a lot of privacy. Um, whether we're carrying our smartphones and having Google and Apple follow us or Samsung to, um, you know, we can be publicly patted down when we, when we want to fly. But this is the price we pay to, to fly. This is the price we pay to own smartphones. And, you know, when you go onto a construction site, um, you just as when you fly and you know you have to go through security, when you go to a construction site, you know you may be subject to drug tests. Um, this is just part of how it operates. And if you don't want to be subject to drug tests, you probably shouldn't be on the construction site because the reality is we need to make sure that the person, not only you, but the person next to you is not using drugs and alcohol because the issue is safety. So it's sort of like after a, a car accident and somebody is injured and they appear to be drunk, then they test you immediately. Yeah, or let's use an even better example that's really up to date with today. Let's talk about uh, when a, a train derails. You know, we've just had that happen recently in in, uh, in uh, New Jersey, and we've talked about it here in, in Washington, D.C. a few times with the metro, unfortunately. Well, guess what? Every time there's some sort of incident, they drug test all of the employees on the train because they want to – they not only want to determine whether it was a factor, they want to rule it out. Um, so that's the same thing on a construction site. You want to at least just be able to rule out that drugs played any sort of role so that you can get to what was the cause of the incident so you can re redress your safety program um, to fix what happened to prevent it from happening in the future. I think that makes sense. So when did this rule kind of come out? When did it become a thing? And, and when do you think it's going to start impacting job sites out there right now? So... The rule came out uh, May of this year, uh, but it hasn't actually gone into effect as of today. Um, it goes into effect on November 1st. The agency has actually pushed, it was originally supposed to take, fact, take effect back in August, but the agency pushed that back mostly because of the reactions from industry um, and, and some of the concerns that we've had. Uh, and what we're hearing from other uh, AGC members. So what are you hearing from AGC members? Like what has been the reaction from contractors to this? Uh, mostly confusion. And, I, I you know, yeah, they want to maintain safe workplaces and deterring drug and alcohol use um, in conjunction with working on the site is, is a big deal and something that they say is fundamental to their safety program. And here all of a sudden you have a rule that will... Um, put in some more sort of caveats for how they may have to go about that drug testing program. And I guess the thing that I'd like to talk to you about is, you know, I, I read to you what was in the actual text of the rule, but the real confusion comes in what the agency wrote in the what we call the preamble, what comes before the rule, where pretty much sounds like they're telling you to do something, but they say, you know, not really. Um, but it makes it confusing. And the preamble itself, just to be clear, is not part of the regulatory text. It is uh, the part that comes before the regulatory text in the published version of the whole rule. And there's differing legal opinions, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, about wh how much force of law the preamble carries. Sure, and the, the question is whether it does have, whether it's being used in a way that has the force of law. And that, that's kind of, you know, getting to the crux of it. Here it says, drug testing policies 
should limit post-incident testing to situations in which employee drug use is likely to have contributed to the incident and for which the drug test can accurately identify impairment caused by the drug. So here they have the standard is you should limit your post-incident drug testing to when an employee drug use is likely to, okay? Then a few sentences down in the same paragraph, they say employees need not specifically suspect drug use before testing, but there should be a reasonable possibility that drug use by the uh, reporting employee was a contributing factor. Uh, okay, so you've got reasonable possibility of drug use and a situation where drug use is likely to have contributed to the incident. Which one is it? And both of those themselves are, are vague terms, you know, likely, reasonable, those things. Uh, there's not a, a real bright line for what uh, is likely to have contributed or uh, what is reasonable, like what is a reasonable person. There's no regulatory definition for reasonableness, is there? Scott, I don't think you're on drugs right now, but I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's what contractors are, th- are, are wondering. Like, you know, you can have an employee that's on a site that, that looks and can be completely functioning but still be on drugs and alcohol. You don't know until you test them. That's really the situation. And, you know, how are you supposed to know or not know that someone's likely on drugs until you've tested them? You just don't know. So um, has labor weighed in on this at all? Yes. Um, and... You know, there were a few unions that um, during a, a hearing actually encouraged OSHA to take this uh, position. However, in the construction industry, um, a lot of unions have collectively bargained with uh, contractors to include these drug testing policies. And in, in at least one case, we have a letter from uh, a large union in the Midwest that is calling on their contractors to continue to live up to the terms of their collective bargaining agreement and to maintain the drug testing programs that they have in place. So that brings up an interesting point then. If, if some folks are looking to maintain the status quo and this regulation isn't in force yet, what is a contractor that uh, is looking about whether or not to comply? What are they even looking at to comply with? Is it this regulation? Is it some kind of forthcoming guidance from the agency? What, what are we looking at? So that's a really, that's the really good question, Scott. Ideally, we would have more guidance uh, from the agency on or before November 1st, but there's really no guarantee they haven't told us that they will. And I'm, you know, generally not optimistic that they will have that guidance or provide that guidance in advance. So the question will be how do contractors, knowing that there's not going to be more specific guidance from OSHA, um, what do they do? Um, and that's really a, a business risk decision. Um, is the risk of violating this rule pose more risk to you than not having someone using drugs and alcohol in your workplace? Right, and potentially causing fatalities or other you know, serious injuries to employees or, or others. Right. We've, we've had some contractors say they're just getting rid of their post-incident drug testing programs, which I don't think is necessarily the, the way to go personally. Um, there's other ways that you can do this at least to try to comply with the rule. Um, as long as you're tr- putting forth a good faith effort to comply, you're probably in a pretty good place. The issue is, 
you know, I feel for all those contractors out there that are really just focused on having a drug-free workplace. And that's why I say again, you know, you have to take into account your own business uh, risk as to what that poses. So uh, back on the guidance briefly, uh, the agency is under no obligation to issue any guidance interpreting its regulation. That's absolutely correct. So is guidance one of the things that AGC is requesting from the agency, or what other kinds of things form the AGC response to this? We've we've definitely asked for guidance. We've also just flat out asked that they withdraw this portion of the preamble and just say that drug testing, post-incident drug testing, um, does not apply. However, they don't. OSHA does not seem to be interested in that uh, action. Um, we have also presented them some drug uh, programs that contractors already have in place, and not just contractors, but the collective bargaining agreements with contractors that unions have that include these um, drug testing programs. And I got to tell you, I don't think OSHA looked at any one of these, any real drug testing program and what goes into it before they issued this rule. Um, I think that the only thing they did was hear from a bunch of people, read a few partisan studies from Congress and uh, from a couple unions and take that for what it's worth and just stick it in. You mentioned earlier that there was a meeting with Dr. Michaels uh, and AGC uh, and OSHA. Uh, Can you kind of describe what the kinds of concerns AGC raised in that meeting? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we many of the concerns I just mentioned, uh, the fact that that it's completely unreasonable to have an employee using drugs or alcohol on a construction site necessitates the fact that we have drug testing to deter uh, that use because being on a construction site is inherently hazardous. Um, There's machinery going. Uh, We're not talking, you know, we've tried to obviously distinguish construction from working in a hotel uh, and restaurant industry um, working, you know, in an office setting, that there are some real issues when you have someone who's on drugs and alcohol using a nail gun. Uh, working 30 feet up uh, on scaffolding uh, with other people carrying uh, wood, lumber and maybe, you know, might not be able to walk straight. Uh, there's, there's a lot of inherent hazards where if you aren't 100% sober, Um, there might be issues. Their retorts to us were things like, well, what about a muscular skeletal injury? You know, that's not really what we're focusing on. They're really focusing on the 99.999% of things that um, don't really happen. Or if they do happen, um, you know, there is some discretion. And generally speaking, a reasonable contractor is probably not going to drug test the 65-year-old you know, employee of 40 years that has trigger finger and has a muscular skeletal injury, probably not going to be drug tested. But when that employee that's on the scaffolding is not wobbling a little bit, hits his lumber into someone else, and then that person falls, and then he falls, you know, I, I think that everyone's going to be drug tested. Um, just because you want to make sure drugs weren't used and you want to eliminate it and you want to see if it's there. But the one thing that is really interesting in this is, okay, in the rule it says, 
You don't want to, you, employers are prohibited from discharging or in any manner discriminating against employees for reporting. All right, so the rule is in part about eliminating discrimination. So now all of a sudden, you instead of having a post-incident drug testing um, policy where you just drug test everyone involved in the incident, now let's just say, well, you don't drug test everyone involved in the incident because I don't necessarily think that this person could be on drugs. Well, what about that person? Doesn't this add a little bit more uh, discrimination to the decision? So all of a sudden you have a situation now where OSHA is actually adding discriminatory practices into the use of drug testing. And in their effort to try and maintain a safer workplace by not discouraging reporting, they've actually potentially created a situation where workplaces are less safe because uh, there's less uh, understanding of how incidents happen. Correct. I understand where OSHA is coming at and that we have to, people need to report and feel safe in their ability, employees need to feel safe in their ability to report, um, but employees also need to feel that they're safe in the workplaces that they work at. Um, employers are legally responsible for that safety and, and um, you know it's just one of those situations where it's not cut and dry if you change one portion of the of the argument you're gonna add some cons to the other side and that's kind of what we're having here you're not going to get a hundred percent of what you want um, and Oh, the only thing we really want is 100% of a safe workplace. So OSHA has already extended the effective date you mentioned to November 1st. Um, what other things uh, may affect the implementation of this? Is, are there lawsuits tracking through? Is AGC looking at those kinds of things? What kind of options are we evaluating for compliance? There are currently a, a few lawsuits that are pending. Um, AGC at this point is not a party to those lawsuits, but we are seriously uh, considering filing a lawsuit. The issue in my mind is, you know, from a administrative law side, is the language that's in the preamble that we talked about with those standards of reasonable possibility of drug use or that drug use is likely to have contributed. These are things that, in my mind, when they come out in tandem, with the rule itself are so intertwined with the rule that they in fact have the force of law and are cruelly having the effect of the force of law um, by having our members change their drug testing policies. So there, there's definitely some, some legal claim, valid legal claims out there for what they've done uh, is at least unlawful under the Administrative Procedures Act. Um, and there's also under the, um, the OSH Act itself, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Act, um, that OSHA doesn't even have the underlying uh, authority to do what it's done. So there are some valid claims out there. However, as with all things when it comes to agency action, is there's an incredible amount of deference given by courts to that agency action. So we're not necessarily, we want to make sure that the, the deck of cards are stacked in our favor. Um, and it would be in our, uh, to our advantage to wait for this rule to come into effect from a legal strategy side. Because 
we don't want to argue for the next two years about whether we can actually be in court. Uh, we want to argue why this should be removed from the rule, um, why any sort of drug testing uh, portion should be removed. Right, so we're in search of solutions. We are in search of solutions, and we are not interested in, in litigating and spending our, our members' money over things that don't get us to that solution in the fastest manner possible. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, I want to thank AGC's Jimmy Christensen for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And thank everyone else for listening. This has been the AGC Constructor Cast. <laughs>